0: The following message is by Pastor Jason Pauley. More information from Harmony Bible Church is available at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace and your mercy in our lives. God, I just pray and ask that you'd work mightily in us and through us. God, that we would be eager to worship you in spirit and and in truth this morning. God, I pray for the churches that are meeting up and down the coast and around the world as well today, that you would be with them, that your gospel would be proclaimed, that lives would be changed. God, I pray for revival, that you would bring revival to this community, to this state, to this country, and God, that it would begin with our hearts, revive our hearts, turn us toward you. God, that we may bring this beautiful message of hope to this world. God, I just pray and ask that as we look at Your Word, You'd guide us through it and help us to understand how we may apply it to our lives and live it out. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, before we read our text this morning, again, I want to do a little bit of review of the content of 2 Peter and what we've covered so far. In chapter 1, Peter encouraged his readers to be firmly rooted in the truth of the Gospel. He told them to make sure that they were not only saved, but that they had... uh, that they were they were truly saved, not just that they had made a decision, but that their faith was genuine, and that they were trusting in the true gospel of Christ and not some cleverly devised tale and He told them that if they were growing in christ like character, that would be the evidence of such genuine faith and Then in chapter two, Peter shifts his focus to a warning about false teachers. Remember, he said they were motivated by pride, material gain, and sexual sin. And thus, those false teachers were trying to exploit the church. He said that the false teachers were empty vessels, making empty promises, and they were facing an empty future, one where they would remain enslaved to their sin and kept under punishment for the day of judgment. And then last week, as we started chapter 3, Peter continued to address the harmful teaching of these false teachers. He said that they were mocking those who believed in the return of Christ. And that such mockers, were, they were following their desire, which led to their denial of truth. That as they followed desire, they began to deny the truth of God's Word, specifically that Christ was coming back in judgment. And when they denied the truth, that led to ultimately their disregard for God and His warnings. So with that in mind, let's turn to our text this morning. If you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Second Peter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 10 specifically, but I actually want to back up and read verses 1 through 10. This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens And the earth existed, were formed out of water, and existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was being destroyed, being flooded with water. But by His Word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Verse 8. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Father God, thank You for Your Word. May You just add a blessing to it as we prepare to apply it to our hearts this morning. Amen. You may be seated. Peter begins in verse 8 with the statement, but do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved. I want you to notice just a few things about this statement. First, he begins with a, a word of transition. He says, but... And this word, but, shows that what follows stands in contrast to what he just said. It should cause us to look back to the previous verses and remember what he said about these mockers. Remember, he said, they follow their desire, which leads to denial of truth, which leads to a disregard for God. And second, I want you to notice that Peter is speaking directly to believers with some very specific instructions here. By saying, but you, beloved meaning those whom I love or dear friends, he makes it clear that he is contrasting the way believers should act with the inappropriate conduct of these false teachers. Remember, in chapter 1, Peter encourages believers to live in light of the Gospel. And then almost all of chapter 2 is spent describing the behavior of false teachers. And ultimately, chapter 2 then serves as a warning for how not to live. And now... In chapter 3, verse 8, he transitions back to where he began in chapter 1. He he transitions in a sense by saying, but you, beloved, this is how you should live. And lastly, in this uh, phrase, this opening phrase, I want you to notice that he says, uh, escape your notice. He uses this phrase, escape your notice. And this should jump off the page for us. Remember last week we talked about how Peter used this very same phrase and how the New American Standard obscures its meaning a bit by allowing us to think that Peter is talking about simply not noticing something. However, as we saw in verse 5 earlier, this, this phrase carries not just the idea of being unobservant, but instead the idea of deliberate disregard. That in the Greek, the idea is of Purposefully ignoring something. So what Peter is saying in the first part of verse 8 is, but you, beloved, in contrast to these mockers, be careful to regard. Don't deliberately disregard, but be careful to observe and regard the following. So I've titled today's message, Regarding the Truth. For we should be careful to regard, to make sure that we notice the truth of God's Word and the return of Christ. So now let's get into the rest of our text, beginning with the first point in our sermon outline. The first thing I want you to notice is God's timing. Number one, God's timing. Peter says, with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. His main point in saying this is that God does not work according to our timetable. And if you've been on this earth for any period of time, you know this to be the case. For sometimes we want things to happen in our timing and not God's timing, but God does not work according to our timetable. That is to say, He views time differently than we do. Peter is actually alluding to Psalm 90 here where the psalmist compares the eternal nature of God with the shortness of man's life. Psalm 90, verses 1-4 through says this, Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or You gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, You are God. You turn man back into dust. And say, return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by. And that's what Peter's referring to. So Peter's driving home the point that God doesn't view time from the same perspective that we do. That instead, from everlasting to everlasting, He is God. As a side note, I want to clarify here, the statement, one day is, a thousand, is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day, this shouldn't be taken as a literal formula either. We shouldn't take this, this to mean that God, with God, literally, one day is a thousand years. It's not at all what Peter is saying. It's not a formula to understand God's timing. Some, of, some people like to point to this verse and they say things like, well, the days in Genesis 1 are actually each 1,000 years. So God created the earth over a period of 6,000 years because it says in Peter that one day is as a 1,000 years. That's not at all what Peter is talking about. Peter's not referring to Genesis 1 at all. Nor should we look at this phrase and believe that there's the means to determine the exact time of Christ coming back. And some have attempted to do that, even with this phrase. Instead, Peter's addressing the argument of these mockers in Second Peter 3-4. Peter Remember those mockers in Second uh, Peter 3-4? They said, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. See, these false teachers, they were saying, Christ is not coming back. Are you crazy for believing this? It's been 40 years. He's been gone. He's not coming back. Nothing has changed. In fact, since the beginning of creation, God has not intervened. And last week, we remember Peter said, "Um, actually, He has. Remember, there was this thing called a big flood of Noah's day. And He's going to destroy the earth again. That He is indeed coming back. That He is involved in His creation. See, these false teachers were denying the fact that Christ is coming back in spite of the fact that the Scriptures testify again and again and again. And Jesus Himself testifies to the fact that He is returning. And He's returning in judgment. Hebrews 9, verses 27-28 through says this, And inasmuch as it is appointed for man to die once, and after this comes the judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await Him. That Christ will appear a second time to those who eagerly await Him. Matthew sixteen twenty seven, Jesus Himself said, For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of His Father with His angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. For Mark eight thirty eight, Jesus said, For whoever is ashamed of Me and My words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of Him when He comes in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. Jesus clearly affirmed that He was coming back. And so does the rest of Scripture. Yet in spite of these warnings, it seems as though these false teachers, they were making an argument that Christ was not coming back and it was creating a sense of doubt in the minds of believers. There's real danger in listening to false teaching. When we listen to false teaching, we can begin to... Uh, we we begin to listen to and think about what is being said and it can create a sense of doubt in our minds and that seems to be what was happening. And Peter wants to address that. You see, it's been some 30 or 40 years since Christ's ascension. And within that 30 or 40 years, the church had seen loved ones die. So it would have been easy for them to think, well, maybe these false teachers are right. Maybe He's not coming back. Because he seemed to promise that he was coming back right away. Maybe he's not coming back at all. And Peter knows just how dangerous this kind of teaching is. Remember from last week, the false teachers were following their lusts, and then they were denying the truth. They were shaping their theology to fit their lifestyle. Why? Because not believing in a coming judgment was freeing. It was freeing them to do whatever they desired. And Peter knows that temptation will come into the lives of those beloved believers to whom he's writing. He knows that temptation is going to come just like it will come into our lives. And when it does, Peter wants them to stand firm in the truth that it does matter how we act. That our behavior, our actions do matter. That we are called to honor Christ and glorify Christ with our bodies we let the truth dictate our behavior not our desires dictate what we believe and otherwise if we don't we too might be carried away so peter is saying but you but you beloved in contrast to these mockers in contrast to these false teachers make sure you regard the truth of god's timing he's saying make sure you regard the truth Of God's timing. That though the the day of the Lord may seem long in coming. It's been 40 years, church. And we stand here today saying it's been 2,000 years. Peter's words ring ever true today. That though it may seem long in coming, His timing is not like yours. Regard the truth of God's timing. So now we move on to the second point in our sermon outline. The second point is God's patience. We've seen God's timing. Now we need to regard the truth of God's patience. Peter continues on and says, the Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. See, the reason for God's delay is because He's patient. The word perish is the same word used throughout Scripture to refer to eternal destruction. God's not talking about just death. He's talking about eternal destruction here. God does not wish for any to face eternal destruction. And therefore, the repentance that Peter is speaking of and says he desires, God desires all men to experience, that repentance is repentance that leads to eternal life. A repentance of sin and a trust in the atoning work of Christ on the cross. It's also seen, this very same concept is seen in 1 Timothy 2.4 where Paul says that God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God does not delight in individuals rejecting Him and His Gospel. God does not take pleasure in the eternal damnation of people. God is patient and He desires for all to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. But there is no salvation apart from that knowledge of the truth. That we all must realize, we must come to a place in our real life, where we realize in our lives that we have sinned. That Scripture says that every man has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That though God demands perfection, we fall so far short of perfection. Sure, I might be closer to perfection than Bill, but I still fall so far short of perfection that I have not perfectly obeyed God's law. God says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And when I think, did I, did I tie my shoes this morning for the glory of God? Am I preaching solely For the glory of God, my sin is ever before me realizing that I have fallen short of God and His perfect law. But the good news is that Christ died on the cross for us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And not only did He die, but He was raised on that third day, defeating death and suffering, and He's coming back to rescue us. And that is the Gospel. God is patient, waiting for us to come to a knowledge of that truth. I would just encourage you to embrace the Gospel of Christ today. Not as though you embrace something to believe, but instead something to trust in. It's like a parachute. If you're on a plane and the plane's going down and I say, here's a parachute. It's not enough to believe in the parachute. You've got to trust the parachute. You've got to put the parachute on and exit the plane. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do. To place our trust in Him. The way we would trust in a parachute. And I'd encourage you to do that today if you have not already. Today is the day of salvation, for God is patient. He has not returned, maybe, because He's patiently waiting for you. Listen to Romans 2, verses 4-5, through where Paul says the following. Paul says, Or, do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness, and tolerance, and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. But, because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So when we step back and look at this situation, we see just how ironic it is. God, in His patience, is giving a chance for these mockers to repent. Just as He gave us a chance right now. And I I don't know who in this room has truly placed their trust in Jesus Christ other than myself. I know that I have. But I don't know inside each of your hearts. I can't know that. But I know that God just gave you and His patience has given us another opportunity to repent and trust in Him. And Romans 2, Paul says, do you think lightly of His riches and kindness and tolerance and patience? Are you regarding His patience lightly? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you're stirring up wrath for yourself. We see just how ironic this situation is in 2 Peter. God in His patience is giving these mockers a chance to repent, and these mockers, following after their own lusts, they deny a coming judgment, and they say, look around! Nothing has changed since the beginning of creation. There's no coming day of judgment. He's not coming back at all. And in so doing, Paul in Romans 2 says, they're storing up wrath for the day of judgment and the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, they're storing up wrath for themselves when God says, why did you use my patience in waiting for you to repent as an excuse to lead others into further sin? That you look at my patience and you say, well, clearly He's not coming back. When my patience was an opportunity for you you to repent. should be a warning for anyone who's here, who's not a believer, who has been given a chance, an opportunity to repent, and who has had the Holy Spirit speak to them this morning of the truth of the gospel, and then they say, I'm not really sure I believe all this. Romans 2 says you're storing up wrath for yourself in the day of judgment when you do that. Because you're taking something that is good, the blessing of God's patience, and turning it back on Him and pointing to Him saying, you're not coming back, you've made that clear. Now by, um, I want to note that Peter and Paul are speaking of the perfect will of God as well. God does not desire anyone to perish. The the Scripture says God does not desire anyone to perish. However, we also know from Romans 2, which we just read, and the rest of Scripture, that some indeed do. That God and His sovereign will does allow some to perish. We spent some time talking about the two different wills of God a number of weeks ago in Sunday school. Bill brought it up. His will of command and His will of decree. That God commands certain things and sometimes different things and according to God's sovereign plan happen that are contrary to His command, the way He commands us to act. And I don't want to get hung up here on that and, and lose focus. It's easy to pause there and start to lose focus on what Peter is actually communicating. The application for us here is that the day of the Lord has not come yet. Because God is patient. The day of the Lord has not come, and it's not because God is slow, it's because He's patient. And He doesn't want to see any perish. Therefore, we shouldn't mourn over His delay. We shouldn't turn His delay back on Him and say, He's not faithful. But instead, we should rejoice in His delay. Every day that He does not come back is a day to continue to share the Gospel. So while we long for Christ's return, at the same time, we praise God for the fact that it hasn't happened yet. Because that means that, means that God is not done calling people to repentance. So I believe wholeheartedly that if, God does not, if Christ does not come back between now and October 31st, that there are more people that God is going to call to repentance and we step out in faith Sharing that Gospel. Encouraging people to repent and trust Christ. God's not done calling people to repentance. Peter says, so don't be discouraged by what appears to be slowness. Be encouraged. For God's timing is perfect. He has more people to be saved. Praise Him for that. So with this second point, we understand Peter to be saying, but you, beloved... But you, in contrast to these mockers, make sure you regard the truth of God's patience. So having seen the, regarding our need to regard the truth of God's timing, and our need to regard the truth of God's patience, we now look to our third point, and that is God's decisiveness. God's decisiveness. Having reminded His original audience, and ultimately us, that God's timing is different than ours, and that He's patient and waiting for people to come to repentance, He now reminds us that God is decisive. 2 Peter 3, verse 10 says this, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Peter wants us to know that God's patience will not last forever. And that the day of the Lord, the return of Christ to judge the world and reign and rule in righteousness is certain. In other words, Peter didn't want his readers to mistake God's patience for hesitation. God wasn't indecisive. He's not indecisive about, well, should I come back now? Or should I come back tomorrow? That He's patient. And He will return. Only He knows the day and the hour. When He does, it will be with decisiveness. Christ is certainly coming back and He's going to do so with all-consuming power. I want you to notice the conviction with which Peter speaks of this day. He says, the Lord will come. The heavens will pass away. The elements will be destroyed. And the earth and its works will be destroyed burned up. Peter knows beyond the shadow of a doubt that Christ is coming back to bring judgment upon the earth, and he wants his readers to know that as well. Now you've probably noticed that Peter doesn't go into a ton of detail about what this day of the Lord will look like. Um, Therefore, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it either, thankfully. Because there's a lot of debate and a lot of talk about what this day of the Lord looks like. And we can throw around fancy words like dispensationalism or talk about a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. But that's not what Peter's getting at here. That's not Peter's point. Instead, Peter says, Jesus is coming back to judge the world in righteousness. And when He does, this judgment is going to know no end. The heavens are going to pass away with a roar. The elements are going to be destroyed. And the earth and all of its works are going to be burned up. In other words, this judgment is going to be all-consuming. St. Augustine said the following. I think a great quote for today as we every day we hear more and more believers saying, certainly this must be the end times as we've said for 2,000 years, certainly it cannot get any worse than it, than it is today. And while we know, it, is, it, it must be close. It must be close. For Jesus said, I'm coming back. And He seemed to indicate He's coming back very quickly. But God's timing is not our timing. And God is patient. But He is coming back. St. Augustine said, He who loves the coming of the Lord... Is not he who affirms that it is far off, nor is it he who says that it is near, but rather he who, whether it be far off or near, awaits it with sincere faith, steadfast hope, and fervent love. See, Peter is issuing a warning. He's issuing a warning because not only is the return of Christ certain, but it's going to catch many people unprepared. Peter illustrates this point by saying, "It will come like a thief." And Peter also uh, Peter warned about this, but so did Paul. Paul warned about being unprepared for this day in First Thessalonians 5. First Thessalonians five verses one through eight says this. "Now as to the times and epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Paul says, I don't even need to write to you about when it's going to happen. You know it's going to come like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief, for you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness, So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. his point is, not we know the day. So when that day comes, let's be alert and sober. His point is, let's be alert and sober now. For we don't know the day, but we know that it's certain. And he goes on and says, For those who sleep through their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Jesus Himself compared His coming to that of a thief in the night. In Matthew 24, Jesus, verses 42-44 through says this, Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would have not allowed His house to be broken into. For this reason, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think He will. We spend too much time, if, if we knew our house was going to be broken into tonight and our family was there, we would not do well to spend too much time figuring out the exact hour of when He's coming, but instead to be prepared. If we know that He's coming, we are prepared regardless of when He comes. So Peter and Paul are repeating the the warnings of Jesus and saying like a thief catches people who are unprepared so Jesus will come catching many unprepared therefore be alert be sober be prepared at all times for you do not know the day or the hour of his return but you know you know it to be certain therefore with this third point we understand Peter to be saying but you but you beloved in contrast to these, mo- to these mockers, make sure you regard the truth of God's decisiveness. Make sure you regard the truth of God's decisiveness, that He is coming in judgment, and it will catch many unprepared, and it will be with all-consuming power. So by way of review, Peter's telling us not to be like the mockers who deny Christ's return. Instead, we must regard the truth of God's timing. That God's timing is not like ours. He doesn't operate on our schedule or our clock. We must regard the truth of God's patience that He has not returned and there is great reason to praise Him for that because He is patient in calling people to repentance even today. And lastly, we must regard the truth of God's decisiveness we must remember that He is indeed coming back, that He has fixed a day and an hour when He will come back, and we are to live lives in holy expectation as we await that day. So how do we apply all of this personally and corporately at Harmony Bible Church? Number one, we must regard the truth of God's timing. Though a thousand years seems like a long time to us, we recognize that God does not view time like we do. That though every, with every passing year, time seems to, seems to speed up. That it seems like time just seems to... The older you get, time gets quicker and quicker and quicker. But we realize God's not viewing time the way we do. We must not be impatient, for God's timing is different. We must not think or find ourselves thinking that we have plenty of time to prepare for his coming. We must not think I'll get right with the Lord and I'll live for the Lord when the time comes. Instead, we know his timing's not like ours, and we don't know the day or the hour. But neither must we think that it is so near that we become preoccupied with looking for signs, that we spend all of our time looking for, is it going to be today? Is it going to be during Rosh Hashanah? Is it going to when is the Lord coming back? Instead of getting ourselves ready as those virgins got themselves ready by having oil in their lamps. We must live lives, holy lives in eager expectation. We must be ready to be found by Him without spot or blemish with our lamps lit and full of oil. Number two, we must regard the truth of God's patience. As a church and as individuals, we must praise God that He is patient. We praise Him that His work is not done here on this earth and that He's still calling a people to Himself. We must pray fervently and seize every opportunity to share the gospel with those around us and those in our community and our neighbors and our friends and our family. We must take those opportunities to pray for and share the gospel with those people. And we praise Him that each day that we live, He is conforming us to the image of Christ. That He's patient not only to call people to repentance, but to transform us into the image of His Son. We rejoice with Paul, right, who said, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. We must regard the truth of God's patience. And number three, we must regard the truth of God's decisiveness. We must remember that He is coming back. and That He's going to reign and rule in righteousness. That He's promised us an ultimate and final rescue from sin and this fallen world. We must remember that He's going to make all things new. We look forward to a world that will be free of the brokenness of this world. A world with no more pain, no more depression, no more cancer, no more Ebola, no more death. No more sin. And that should be a source of great hope for us, that He is coming back. But it should also serve as a sobering reality, a sobering reality of the judgment that is coming to those who do not know Christ. And it should motivate us to bring the Gospel to a lost and dying world as we live out our faith. Let's pray. Father God, I praise You for Your Gospel. Praise You for what Your Son, Jesus Christ, did for us. God, I just pray and ask that we would be eager to live in accordance with the truth. God, I just pray and ask that You'd help us to regard the truth of Your timing. God, that we would be eager to recognize that our timetable is not yours, your timetable is not ours, but that you have appointed a time in which you will return to regard that timing and not count a delay, as slowness, but instead regard your patience, regard your patience knowing that you are still at work calling people to repentance. But God, may we also regard your decisiveness that you have set a time time and a day. We don't know that time. We don't know that day. But God, if it is this afternoon, may we be found with our lamps lit and full of oil. May we be ready. And may we be making the most use of our time between now and then, sharing our faith with our neighbors, our loved ones, our family, our friends, and this entire world. God, we need Your grace to live in this way. For it is nothing we can do in our own strength. God, we get wrapped up and caught up in the ways of this world and often in our normal routines begin to think, well, maybe He's not coming back, certainly not coming back today. God, help us to live lives in holy expectation, set apart and preparing for the return of Your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in His name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Jason Pauley, pastor of Harmony Bible Church in South Thomaston, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others, and we invite you to connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. God bless you, and to God be the glory.